0: in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Early last spring, we received a phone call from the Ortegas in Kansas City about uh, their opportunity to bring their two teenage sons uh, from Cuba. Uh, They had been slowly, um, as they were able, uh, been bringing family members over, and now was their opportunity uh, for these two sons To do it legally, to do it in the right way was going to be very costly. They would have to travel to Guyana and uh, be there for a while before they could fly to the United States. And so um, this church, along with other churches, uh, raised money and we were able to be generous towards them. And we saw a photo of these two teenage boys at the airport uh, with these glowing faces and the clothes on their back. And that was it. Right? And this uh, picture of them immigrating and leaving all those things behind and allowing the the life they had there to die, um, perhaps never able to go back. And the hope of the life that they had to come um, here is to me a picture of death and resurrection. This is an, an allegory, an analogy of what it means to lose our life, to give up our life here with the hope of a life to come and the sacrifices that that requires there is a sacrifice required there is a death required and perhaps there's no better prophet for us to turn to for a picture of that sacrifice than the prophet Jeremiah you'll remember that the prophet Jeremiah is living in the city of Jerusalem at the time of the Babylonian siege so the Babylonians are sieging Jerusalem they're surrounding it Um, they're attacking it and uh, uh, Jeremiah is in the city at that time And while he's in the city, he is preaching and he is teaching and he is um, proclaiming words from the Lord. What is it that the Lord told Jeremiah? The Lord told Jeremiah to tell the kings of Judah that they should surrender to Babylon. This was not the message that they wanted to hear. They want to be here, you'll be victorious, and the Lord is going to save you, and everything's going to be alright, and you're going to come out victorious. And Jeremiah is saying the opposite. He's saying, no, the Lord's plan is for you to be taken captive, but if you submit to the Babylonians now, uh, then you will save the city of Jerusalem, and you will save the people in the city, and we will live uh, to serve the Lord uh, another day. And because this is not what they wanted to hear, they imprison him. You remember that they put him into this pit, this waterless pit. They beat him and they ridicule him. And he suffers greatly for the Lord. And this is what Jeremiah is reflecting back to the Lord. He is telling the Lord, I'm speaking your words. I'm speaking the words that you put into my mouth. And I am bearing reproach for it right I am bearing that reproach I am being persecuted because of the words that you have given me and uh, the Lord responds to Jeremiah he responds to this um, expression of his suffering with this very important theological word that we see over and over again and that word is if right the Lord responds to Jeremiah and he says if In Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 19, he says, If you return, I will restore you. And if you utter what is precious, uh, then um, I will turn to you. And he says, I am with you to save you. So he's telling Jeremiah, "If, If you will turn and you will focus upon my words rather than the words of the people and the complaints of the people, then I have work for you to do. And this is the challenge, right, that Jeremiah faces, this is the challenge that we face, uh, because there's so much going on in the world, right? And there's this anxiety and there's this worry, and people want, uh, uh, you know, an ethnic group or a national group or some kind of a military group to, to, to be successful. We put all of our hopes and dreams into that, um, instead of focusing upon the Lord and upon His will. And And the Lord says to Jeremiah, if you will focus on me rather than focusing on the people and what they're saying, then he says, I will make you a bronze fortified wall. I will make you a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail over you. So he's saying, if you focus upon me and you focus upon my will, then I will make you a wall and they will not be successful against you. And indeed, you will become a protection for the people. And he promises through this that he will save and deliver Jeremiah. He says it a second time in verse 21, I will deliver you out of the hands of the wicked and redeem you. Right? And what does that mean to redeem? Redemption means something is worthless, something has no um, intrinsic value, and the Redeemer goes and takes that item and brings it back into costliness, right? brings it back into worth, right? regains that item's worth. So he's saying, right now you're worthless Right, in your complaints, but if you will speak the words that I give you, Right? I will redeem you, I will bring you back up out of worthlessness, and I will deliver you, I will save you. And the way that the Lord delivers, and the way that the Lord redeems, is through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the promise that the Lord made to Jeremiah is fulfilled in Jesus. Here in chapter 16 of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is perhaps as far away from Jerusalem as he will get during his three years of ministry. You remember that he's um, very far north of Galilee in the Gentile city of Caesarea Philippi, right? And, And so he's very far north and perhaps the farthest away that he will be. And now he is setting his face to Jerusalem. So from this point in chapter 16 of Matthew's Gospel until the crucifixion, we're going to see Jesus more and more with His face towards Jerusalem and His focus upon what He's going to accomplish there. And what is He going to accomplish? He is going to accomplish death by death. Right? He is going to destroy death by dying. And this is what He tells uh, His disciples and it's what Peter cannot understand. Right? you remember that Peter just before this in the same city just before this passage has declared Jesus to be God he says you are the Christ the son of the living God Right, and Jesus says upon this statement I will build my church Right, upon this confession I will build my church and now just after that Peter says die you can't do that Right, that's not the plan Peter has in mind a material means of salvation, right? He has in mind a material hope. He has in mind a transformation of the material world. He's hoping for a king to be put upon the throne of David and the city of David, and for their borders to be made secure, and for the Romans to be kicked out, and for right worship to be established in the temple, and for the, the reign of the Messiah to come, right? He's expecting thee to see in the material world all these things to happen. And Jesus is saying something far greater than that is going to happen. I'm going to destroy death itself. I'm going to destroy death itself by dying. And this is the paradox of the Christian life. The paradox of the Christian life is that for us to have eternal life, we have to die to the life that we are living now. And he says, if, if anyone would come after me, in other words, if you want to participate in eternal life, if you want to participate in resurrection, if you want to participate in the kingdom of God, if, then you will deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. So Jesus is saying that it's not for us simply to sit back and, And to receive this gift of eternal life, we don't just sit back and receive the gift of redemption, but he says we participate in it. We're called to participate in it. And again, this is something that we have a hard time understanding, right? Because the solution that we so often have is to force people. Right? this is what we want to do our solution always is to force people to do what's right, right our desire is to go and just turn that switch in people's heads and say let me just um, you know, say the right thing and do the right thing to get you to, to do your homework or clean your room or to get a better job or to say the things you're supposed to say or whatever it is right? to follow the Lord And we want to, to somehow influence people and the, one, the one person that has the power to do that God himself won't Because He's a gentleman. And because He would allow us free choice to choose the life that we would want to live. And so He allows us to choose whatever path um, that our hearts would desire. And He says, if you desire me, if you desire eternal life, then you will live in sacrifice with me. You will lay down your life and take up your cross and follow me. And that path of turning away from selfishness Turning away from the temptation of Adam and Eve, where they followed their passions, they said, let me do what I want to do, let me follow my desires, let me follow my way of thinking, and instead allowing that to die, and seeking the way of God, seeking the will of God, and turning to Him, is the way of everlasting life, and to keep our focus upon the ways of God. One of the ways we do that is by living in the sign of the cross, right? We make the sign of the cross on the forehead in baptism. We make the cross over our bodies when we pray, when we say um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when we say grace. Uh, we put crosses up in our home. St. John Chrysostom says this is our reminder when we put a cross in our homes and when we make a cross over our bodies that this is our focus. This is where our hearts and our minds are attending as upon giving up this life so that we may have new life in Him. And so how do we do that? St. Paul in his letter to the Romans tells us about the way that our very minds and hearts have to be transformed so that we would desire, that we would want this new way of living. And he says our bodies, right, would become a living sacrifice Here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he says our bodies become a living sacrifice. What does he mean by that? So often when we think of sacrifice, we think of pagan sacrifice, right? There's an angry God who's going to be appeased when I kill this animal or this person, right? Their blood will sacrifice and appease this angry God, right? And that's the way that we think of sacrifice. But that isn't Hebrew sacrifice at all. It isn't the sacrifice of Israel. You remember in the the Passover, the Lord is not angry at the Passover lamb, but its blood is shed and its cleansing the body and the house, the home of those that belong to God. The blood is cleansing and it is a sign of those that belong to God. So he's saying, let us become a living sacrifice. Let all of our heart and our mind show that we are devoted to God, that we are devoted to Christ, that we are in His household. So we submit all that we have, our time, our talent, our treasure, everything that's within our grasp, we submit it all, we sacrifice it all to the glory of God and to His work. Right? And then we become transformed by the renewal of our mind that by testing, we may discern what is the will of God. By testing. We want, maybe just, let me say, I want, to sit at my kitchen table with a cup of coffee, read my Bible, say a prayer, and for the Lord to give me a laundry list for the day. Right? Nice, clear laundry list. Do XYZ, one, two, three, and my work is done. Right? That's what we want in prayer. Should I go this way or that way? This way? Okay, I'll go and do that. That's not testing. That's not discernment. Testing is to try over and over again, right? And knowing that we're going to get it wrong. If we work in a test kitchen, the cake's going to turn out wrong. Do we get angry at the cake and throw it away and quit? No. We try it again. We change the temperature. We change the ingredients. When we're testing a new airplane, does the airplane not work the way we want it to? Do we throw it away and give up the project of flying? No, we don't. We make changes to the airplane. We do it a little bit differently. But the point is, we did it. We tried. We have to get out of our houses and we have to try. We have to... Ask the Lord, what words should I speak? And we need to try to speak the words of God. We need to try to speak the words of faith, hope and love to give encouragement to one another. We need to look for opportunities to proclaim His name. We need to look for opportunities to raise up other people, to visit the sick and the needy and the poor and those in prison, to give generously out of what the Lord has given us, Right to give time to the people that may need our time, to to look for opportunities in our daily life and living, to, to be able to make a connection with somebody, to share the love of the gospel, right? And we have to try it over and over again before we can figure out what the Lord wants us to do, right? It looks like filling out applications. It looks like trying homework. It looks like making phone calls. It looks like talking to people. There's stuff to do. We have to do it and try it to test it so that we can discern the will of God. Are we going to make mistakes? Absolutely. 100%, right? And testing, there will be failure. Right? But one way or the other, we're going to suffer and die. All of us. We're all going to get sick and die. We're all going to, in the end, have these bodies be corrupted. And none of the material things that we have will outlive us in any significant way. It's all going to rust and fall away. If we have hope in eternity, if we have hope in God, then it is in Him alone and it is in His kingdom and ways. Because in Him we have everlasting life. In Him we have resurrected bodies. In Him we have hope of fame, of always being remembered. We will never be forgotten by the mind of God. And we devote ourselves to Him and to discerning His mind in all that we do and say every day. So then we got a phone call this week from Neuland Luis and they were at the Las Vegas airport on a layover for two hours. It turns out that uh, Hayden, their oldest of these two boys that came just last April, had learned English, graduated from high school, gotten a part-time job, and they were flying to San Diego to see him graduate from the Marine Corps boot camp. Wow. 18 months. If that doesn't give you hope that the American dream is alive, I don't know what will. Or the hope in new life. And the hope in change and resurrection. That those that are obedient to the Lord and hope for new things will receive blessings in those new things. And if you don't have a clear mind, a clear picture in your mind of what redemption and resurrection looks like... Look at the picture of this young man when he first got to this country and the picture of him graduating from boot camp. That is redemption. That is transformation. Right? And that's what the Lord would do for all of us. He would redeem us. He would restore us. He would remake us. And for us to do that, we have to let what is old die and fall away as we focus upon Him. And when we're focused upon His will, when we're focused upon, as He says, what is precious write what is good write what is holy what is acceptable what is perfect then we become a wall of fortified bronze our lives become a protection for those around us that are in need our words of hope and grace our minds focused upon God our lives devoted to Him and to his everlasting kingdom become a protection for our families and for our friends and for our neighbors and a reminder of the hope and the life that is to come. May we be transformed, may we be renewed, and may we be brought into his everlasting kingdom by the renewal of our minds and of our lives. Amen.